let me just tell you something about, about this book. This book is, is a story of not just my life. The subtitle of the book is Unlocking the Hidden Potential Within You, One Man's Story, Everyone's Journey. If you'll notice on the cover, see the iceberg? Because that's, that's really popular now, uh, using the iceberg illustration. If you're on the surface of that water and you're floating on the surface of that water and you see that iceberg ahead of you, all you can see in the natural is what's on top of that water. But what you don't realize is you only see uh, less than 10-15% of most any iceberg. If you can see beneath the water, behind the words, I see greatness in you. That's why I just love the cover design so much. Is you really see the big picture. You see the perspective that only God can see. That, on, that only, that, and if you, could, if you want to see it, you've got to dig beneath the surface to see it. Are y'all hearing me? You've got to go down beneath the surface to see the real iceberg. So that, that's the way most people's lives are. That was my life because I was so surface-oriented. There was so much about me that was surface-oriented that I had mastered the ability to hide all this other stuff about me that had been done to me, how I had bro been broken and the shame of my past and, and how people had abused me and left me and abandoned me and the lack of affirmation and the things that I had done to try to hide that and promote that. Everybody look, boy, it's a cool-looking, awesome thing. Man, people will take pictures of that on a cruise ship passing by that. It looks like a cool thing. But what you don't realize is iceberg straight ahead. I don't know why I wanted to say that, but I just wanted to say that. But Come on, because that's what took out the Titanic. Amen. How many knows it wasn't what it was above the water that took out the Titanic? It was what they couldn't see that was beneath the water that went through. Because you remember, it wasn't the top of the ship that got took out. It was the whole of the ship that got destroyed from beneath the surface of an iceberg that they had no idea was that big. It's called the big picture. Everybody shout big picture. The big picture perspective changed my life. It changed everything about my life. The first thing on your notes is this. The devil is, 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 is I want to I say he's not big picture like God by no means, but he, he looks down the line. He's long term. So the enemy plays the long game. The enemy plays the long game to destroy the greatness within you. In other words, he sees, he knows, uh, he's not all knowing, but he can see what's beneath you. He can see what's beneath the surface. He knows what you're hiding. So he may not be able to take you out immediately, but he plays the long game. When you hear somebody start talking about playing the long game, what that means is, is they are very calculated and they are very patient. I say this about the devil. He's ugly. He's stupid. He's got bad breath. Come on, somebody. Anything. If I could cuss him out right now and the Lord be okay with it, I'd do it, but I'm not going to do that. That's how much I hate him. Anything bad I can say about him, I say about it because I ain't scared. But here's the truth. I got, I got to say this about him. He's got a couple things about him that's pretty consistent. He's patient. The enemy is more patient than we ever have ever been. He plays the long game, man. He'll, he'll start planning things in your life when you are a baby and a kid, knowing that that will end up destroying you as an adult. He doesn't wait till you begin to be an adult to hit you with confidence issues, lack of affirmation issues, and identity issues. Amen. I mean, it was our biggest struggle with our identity most of the time is when we're a kid or a teenager. 
We're like a sponge, man. We're soaking up all this kind of stuff. And if we don't have the right people in our life, speaking into our life positive things, we'll begin to believe the lie that the devil says about us. I'm preaching better than you shouting. The devil plays the long game. Let me tell you something about the long game. And this is a little sermon within a sermon here. You, you got to be careful because not just as the devil is not, doesn't just play the long game in your life. He plays the long game in humanity. See, whether you realize it or not, you are every day being played like a fiddle by the media and the culture of this world. And you are certainly being played with this thing. Because you know if the internet says it, it's got to be true, right? But here's what I mean by that. Is the long game says, okay, I can't change a nation overnight and turn their eyes off of God overnight. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to do this one little thing. And I'm going to convince them that it's not that bad. And they're going to jump in there and take hold of that. And, And the long game says, when I see them take that little tiny turn, I've got the next turn ready. And next thing you know, you start out thinking, I want to be enlightened. I want to be educated. I want to know, I, I, I want to know more. And then all of a sudden you've got a country who don't even believe in God anymore. And, and, and in your own life, you ever, you ever got, got to a place in your life where you said something like this, how did I get here? How did this happen? How did I, how about this one? How did I let this happen? You ever said that? Here's the reality. You didn't just let it happen. It didn't just happen. Now, I know sometimes we can get blindsided, right? But, that, but, but, but that's not anything you did. How many of you sometimes the devil just blindsides you? That's where you got to be strong in your faith. Sometimes you're just getting knocked upside the head. You didn't see it coming. Had nothing to do with what you had, nothing to do with anything you did. But a lot of times, we will blame the devil for our life being in a mess when it's only a simple result of the long game that we have bought into and the decisions that we have made over the years. Am I preaching pretty good this morning? Uh Uh-huh. Okay, I will. I got a whole section over here shouting, tell me to preach. Think about David. Ever heard of King David in the Bible? Before he was ever King David, he was Shepherd David. In fact, He became famous, not as king, but as shepherd. Because when he took down Goliath, how many knows that's what made David famous, right? When he took down Goliath, he was still just a shepherd. Even though he had already been anointed by Samuel to be king. Samuel the prophet had been sent by God because the anointing had left Saul, the first king. God said, I don't want my people to have a king, but the people begged God, and God said, okay, you can have what you want, and they gave him a king. And then not long after that, what happens to everybody who doesn't have accountability in their life, they begin to be full of themselves. Saul began to be full of himself and said, I don't need you anymore, God, I got this thing. And the moment he did, the anointing God left him. Am I preaching right? Now watch what happened. So God said to Samuel, the prophet, my anointing has left Saul, but I have found a man. Listen to what he said. I have found a man who is after my heart. He's got my heart. 
Okay, where's this man at? Go to Jesse's house. And here's where his address is. Put it in the GPS. You'll be right there. And all of a sudden, uh, turn left at the, at the big palm tree and all this kind of stuff. And he got there and he found him. He said, where's all your boys at? I ain't got much time. I brought some oil here. I'm supposed to anoint a king. Uh, he's, he's, he's the, he's the, God wanted me to anoint him as the next king, as the current king, actually. The moment, the moment I pour this oil on his head, he'll become the king of Israel. Where's he at? Here's my oldest son. Nope, that's not him. Here's my next oldest son. Nope, not him. Went all the way down the line. He got all the way down to the very youngest, and, and God still said, no, that's not him. And Samuel was confused, and Samuel said, how is that even possible? I know I heard the voice of God. He said, well, I got one more boy. He's just an old ruddy boy. He's just, he's an old boy. He's a loner. He's always, watch this, he, he, won't, he don't want to hang out with us. All he wants to do is hang out with them stinking, smelly sheep. He said, you go find the stinky smell, you go, you find the stinky smell and follow the smell, and you'll find him. So he found him out in the, in, in, in the field, called him in. God said, that's him. Poured the oil on his head. Listen, for years people have said David was a man after God's own heart because David was a worshiper. Let me tell you something. I know, I know worship takes in the presence of God, but I want to tell you something right now. David was not a man after God's own heart because he was a worshiper. There's a lot of worshipers. David was a man after God's own heart because he was a shepherd. He cared about the sheep. And God, he, he cared. Come on, you're my, go ahead. That's a good place to clap. That's a good place to clap. Come on. Huh? Because here's the thing. He knew that the king, that if they were going to have a king, he would rather them have a king that was a shepherd. Because how many knows Jesus is a shepherd? He's the chief shepherd is what the Bible said. Now thank God for worship. The worship that came out of him manifested out of him because that he was a shepherd. Amen. They even filling in junior kids. But now watch this. He became famous when he took down Goliath, right? But see, the long game of the devil started long before Goliath. The, what, what, this is how he became a man after God's own heart. God saw his faithfulness when the devil sent a bear to try to kill the sheep. Here's a shepherd teenage boy. He killed a bear with his own hand to protect the sheep. Then the devil sent a lion, and he killed the lion to protect the sheep. So when he got to Goliath, the greatness that was within him whether he saw himself as great or not, the confidence that he was going to need to take down a, a giant was already in place because he already faced a bear and a lion. So he's like, he looked at the children of Israel. See, the reason the children of Israel were all hiding, all the, the soldiers were hiding behind bushes for Goliath is because none of them had ever fought a bear and a lion. All they'd ever been taught was to have confidence in that sword and in that spear. But David had confidence in God. David won battles when he didn't even have armor. Remember, we went to Saul, and Saul said, here, take my armor if you're going to go. He tried it on. It was so big on him. He was looking like a clanking little clown. He goes, look, I appreciate it. I don't know this armor, but I know this sling. See, see, you might have used that armor before. I don't, that, that armor can't help me, but if you only knew what I've done with it with a rock. Huh? So he walks up to Goliath. Goliath says, what am I, a dog, that you would send me a petty, pitiful little teenage boy? David quickly, his response was, let me tell you something right now. You're covered in gold. You're covered in bronze. You're covered in metal all over your body. You've got a spear and a sword. i got a rock and a sling. But more than that, i got the name of a Jehovah God. Come on, somebody. i got the name of Jehovah God. i got my daddy's name. Hmm. Let me tell you something, when you, when you got the DNA and you understand who you are about your daddy and people start trying to mess with you, you would say something like, you better, I'm going to tell my daddy. 
you, you, you better not, I'm, I'm going, I'm telling my daddy. And when my daddy shows up, you're going to wish you didn't mess with me. That's basically what he was saying. I ain't here by myself. My daddy's with me. I got his DNA in me. You might not even like your daddy. You might hate your daddy. You might not know your daddy. You might even not know your mama or your daddy. But here's the reality. You can hate him all you want to, but you got their DNA. You got his nose. I know you hate his nose, but you got his nose. Pow. Can you, I wish that, I mean, I can't stand these things sometimes, but wouldn't it have been awesome if somebody was Facebook live in that, that, that moment? I just want to see Dave, I just want to see Goliath's face. <laughs> what just happened? He's gone. He didn't get killed. He got knocked out. But David's like, I didn't come to knock him out. He took his own sword out. Boom! Took his head off, baby. Come on. Then he said, I ain't leaving his head in here. I got to show them that we don't need to be afraid of him. And I know it's weird. I know it's gross. But he grabbed him by the hair of his head, carried his head into Saul, had the original mic drop moment, but it was a head drop. He just walked in with boom. Come on, somebody. Just walked out, baby. Head drop, boom. I know it's gross and weird. But when he walked out, instantly he became famous. I mean, a shepherd boy was no longer a shepherd boy in the eyes of the people. Because the Bible said immediately the women began to sing a song in the streets. Saul has killed his thousands. David has killed his tens of thousands. And Saul heard it. Next thing on your notes is this, being famous is not greatness. See, he didn't become great when he became famous. The greatness was within him long before he ever became famous. In fact, let me just tell you something why I put that on your notes. Being famous many times will expose the lack of greatness. How many times have you seen people who are famous, who have all the money and all the things in the world that you think you need in your life to be happy, but yet they end their life? Huh? The children don't have anything to do with them. They can't have any, they, they, their spouses don't want to have anything to do with them, and, and they, they end up being alone. Because being famous is not greatness. Greatness is an inward thing that oozes out of you. It doesn't ooze out in worldly pride. It, it, it oozes out in, in a, a life that is intentional a life that you begin to realize my god i really am here for a purpose this is really not about me god let me tell you something we're talking about the devil playing the long game nobody plays the long game like god god played the long game before creation ever even happened let me tell you let me tell you the the the, the long game with god god said this the bible says Genesis 1 1, you know, let there be light, right? In the beginning was heaven and earth. Earth was out, form and void, darkness on the face of the earth. Genesis 1 2, let the, and God said, let there be light, there was light, right? And he goes on and creates the whole world, right? Are you with me? But the Bible also says, the, the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus Christ was the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. In other words, he knew because he, listen, you got to get, if you just get this one thing today, it'll change your life. Jesus is not the alpha 
and will be the Omega. He is the Alpha, which means the beginning, and He is the Omega, which is the, the end. He doesn't predict the future. He is the future. He doesn't exist. He is existence. Are you hearing me? So we, sometimes we've got this image of God that he's somehow surprised by things and he adjusts to the situation and fixes the mess. He's already seen it all. So before he ever said, let there be light, the Word of God, the, the Father, the Bible says there's three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. The Word that became flesh and dwelt among us, set in heaven before there it was ever a command to say, let there be light. He stepped up within the Godhead and said, I'll leave the Godhead, and I'll become a man, and I'll die for them. That's incredible. That's long game, man. That's why he could confidently look at the serpent and say, look, you think you've done something, but <laughs> let me give a revelation. I already saw this coming. So there's a seed coming of the woman's going to crush your head. Y'all know the story. It's just like when he walked into the cool of God. Where are you at, Adam? He knew where he was. Who told you you were naked? He knew it all. It's him giving man an opportunity to acknowledge the majesty of our father and say, daddy knows best. You're right. I might as well admit it. I can't hide it from daddy. My God, this ain't what I'm supposed to be preaching right now. So just because you're famous, just because you've got money, just uh, what if you got that house that you wanted? What if you got the car that you wanted? What if you got that job that you wanted? That does not make you great. It's not the kind of greatness I'm talking about. See, David... He had to end up fleeing for his life because Saul became so jealous of him that he wanted to murder him. He was, let me tell you something. He wasn't necessarily jealous of the songs that the women were singing. He was jealous that when he looked at David, he could not deny the greatness in him. And he, I'm going to tell you what probably happened. It probably reminded him of the greatness that used to be in him. Because Saul had greatness in him, y'all. Saul was creating the image of God. There was, there's got to be a reason God chose him to be the first king. He didn't just, how many of those, God didn't just randomly go, mini, mini, mo, you. No, there had to be a reason. But you can have greatness in you and begin to read your own press clippings. Huh? I'm, I'm, I'm learning this about the book. Huh? I'm learning this about the book. Right now. Every rating, every review I got on my book is a five-star. That makes me happy, man. It makes me feel good. It makes me feel good. How many of those makes you feel good when people say good things about you, right? But I know there's a three and a two and a one coming. I know they're coming. I have my first independent review done this week. A secular reviewer re reviewed it. On a, on a, uh, some of y'all might have seen it. It's the onlinebookclub.org. I submitted my book to it, and they mainly read fiction, and this is like one of the biggest book clubs on, on, on the internet, and somebody picked my book out and read and gave me four out of four stars, and, I, and the things they said on it, man, I was just like, wow, God, that's amazing, so I shot it to Delane, thank God for friends, <laughs> Delane replied back, and he said, that's amazing, but don't get in the habit of reading your reviews, Pastor. 
Ain't it good to have friends like that? He said, Pastor, that was awesome. But don't get in the habit of reading the good reviews because you'll be devastated when you get the one that's coming. You know what? There's, I know there's one coming. One coming that's going to look at it and say, that's the most ridiculous thing I ever heard. Say it's not even biblical and blah, 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 blah. And go try to rip me to shreds. But if I don't know who I am in God, if, 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 if my identity is wrapped up in what somebody said about a book that I wrote, that ain't greatness. Let me tell you something. I am not who I am because of anybody patting their back on me. I am who I am because I was made this way in the image of God, and you, nobody else could take it from me. Well, I think I danced a little bit to that one. Huh? So if you, let me tell you something. Everybody in this room's got greatness in them. Whether you see it or not, I'm going to tell you something. I see it. How do I know I see it? Because I see a nose. I see eyeballs. Huh? I see hands. I see feet. I see hair on some of y'all. <laughs> but you know why that means wait, wait, wait a minute what are you talking about how does that see greatness that means you're a human being that has nothing to do with the color of your skin you got red blood flowing through you come on somebody roll tide I mean you got that's all I will say uh, but that means you're creating the image of God that means you look just like Adam looked Adam had eyes and a nose and a mouth. He's creating the image of God. So if you are, if you are here, and you are here, right? Amen. There's greatness in you. Because God don't make no junk. Huh? And I got news for you. He don't make mistakes either. Now the whole generation trying to tell us that God's made mistakes. God does not make mistakes. Because here's the reality. If he makes one, then I can't trust him. God is without mistake. God, I got I to gotta hurry. I'm hungry, y'all. I want to eat them hamburgers and hot dogs, too. It ain't just y'all. I didn't eat breakfast this morning. <laughs> I'm waiting on them hamburgers. Listen. I'm going to text my wife and tell her to save me a plate. No, I'm just kidding. Watch this. Listen, listen, listen. He fled for his life. And it was, later on in his life, he, he begins to build a, a relationship. It had to be a secret relationship. And it was, he was in and out with favor during that time with Saul. But he could tell his time with Saul was just about done. And he became friends with Saul's son, Jonathan. And in fact, the, it's, it's such a friendship that some people don't even know how to read about it without it freaking them out because of the world we live in. We can't fathom two men being connected that way without them being romantically involved. There's even some people accuse them of, of being lovers. And if you, you know the Word of God, that's not true. So, but the Bible says they were knit to each other's heart. They were knit in the soul. And, and at one point in the juncture of of the relationship between David and the son of Saul, Jonathan. Jonathan saw greatness in his friend. He didn't just see greatness, he saw royalty. He knew what Samuel had done, but he saw it for his own eyes. And he looked at, he looked at uh, David and he said, listen, I know that you're going to be the king. 
I know that I'm supposed to be the king. I've been told all my life that I'm going to be the king because I'm the eldest son of the king. That's the way monarchies work. Are you hearing me? So, but I know this. I know that God has chosen you. So therefore, listen to these powerful words. When, when you see greatness in someone, and how many knows a lot of times you need to find somebody that you see greatness in and you need to get close to them so that they can pour into you. I'm telling you, what changed my life is when I started searching out men of God that, would, that I could soak up like a sponge the greatness that was within them. It began to pull things out of me. That's what a pastor is. That is what spiritual fathers and mothers are supposed to be in our life. So Jonathan, even though he had rank in the natural realm over David, submitted himself to David and saw something in David that he needed in himself. And he said, when you come into your kingdom, I'm asking you to remember me and my family. Can you just remember my children and my children's children? The next thing in your notes is this. One of the greatest traits of a life of greatness is honor. One of the greatest traits of a life of greatness is honor. We have a society that has lost the value of honor. Not only do we not honor our father and mother, we talk to them like dogs. But we don't honor people who are in authority over us in life. And we, we don't even honor, if you even go to church nowadays, you, most people don't even honor the spiritual leadership that God has put in their life. I don't, I don't need to be a king in your life. I don't, I don't, I don't want to make decisions in your life. That's between you and God. But here's the reality. I, mean, I say this with as much humility as possible. I am the pastor of this church. I am your pastor. If I am your pastor, then you need to have a teachable spirit about you to allow me to pour into your life. Amen. Can I tell you something? Nowhere in Scripture, find it and show it to me. If it's in there, I'll stand corrected. Nowhere in Scripture does God ever say that he will lead you to a church. People say, I felt, I felt God leading me to this church. It doesn't say it anywhere in Scripture. But it does say, I will give you a pastor who will feed you. So when you, when you are led to a church, you are led to that pastor. Not to, not to the church. The church and the people, and I know you fall in love with the people, is a reflection of the heart of that pastor. Do you understand this is not easy for a pastor to preach on? But I'm trying to tell you we've lost honoring those that God has put in our lives. Jonathan honored him and David in return honored him. So fast forward, very fast forward, bless you, uh, is this. So later, on, he has to run for his life. He's out on his own. He's got a few people with him, not many. The 12 tribes of Israel had been split. Some have been loyal to David. Some have been loyal to Saul. And Saul is on a pursuit now. He's forgot all about his kingdom. He's forgot all about the children. He could care less about ruling and reigning. He's, he's, he's bent on one thing, and that's finding David and killing him. That's all he wanted to do. So every day he, you have story after story after story of, of, of Saul getting on horses and going out and trying to find David to kill him. During this time, David begins to grow in influence, and God is preparing him for the moment. He's now got a band of soldiers that was ragtag, didn't have any kind of training, because the elite stayed with the king because he had the money. The, the, the bottom came with him, but God had turned his men. The Bible called them just uh, mighty men of valor. 
uh, there was, you know, one man killed a thousand men with a sword by his hand, and they had to literally pry the sword from his hand because his hand wouldn't even open. He had held that sword so tight. He tells the legendary stories of these men that had, fought, that had uh, followed David. But when it came to around the time David didn't even know that this was happening, that Jonathan and Saul, his father, went into battle, and they were both killed in the battle. And when, they, when the, they always had runners that would run the news of the battle, and when the runners saw that both of them were dead, he ran as hard as he could back to the, to the castle, and he finally made it back to the castle. And when he got there, he, he come in, and the Bible says in Samuel, first, 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4, it says this, Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son who's, who was lame in his feet, for he was five years old. Watch what happened. So Jonathan had a son. His name was Mephibosheth. Everybody say Mephibosheth. I know it's not an easy name to say, but this is my character that I love. His name was Mephibosheth. So she was holding him. Watch what happened when the news came of the death of the king and the king's son. Jonathan Saul's son had a son uh, whose name, who was lame in his feet, and not at that moment, but as a result of this. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel, and his nurse took him up, picked him up, and said, this is the next king, and fled. And as it happened as she was fleeing, that she made haste to flee, she got tripped and fell, and he became lame. His name was Mephibosheth. So most theologians believe that he broke his back at age five. She dropped him on a rock or something, broke his back right in the middle of his spine. At the very least, he was paralyzed from the waist down. Most theologians believe, th theologians believe that he was actually paralyzed from his neck down that he had very little, if any, use of his hands. He could not use his legs at all. They were completely lame. So here's a man that that morning, a boy that morning, at five years of age, who was taken care of and bathed, put spices on, was fed the best food that a five-year-old could have, and was being already groomed and taught, this is all going to be yours. And in a moment, because of nothing that he had, nothing that he did himself, but because of what someone had did to him, he was broken. He was ruined. The Bible says he was taken from that point because not just for fear of his, of his life because the Philistines were coming to kill everybody that was left in the house, but secondly, because in the eyes of the culture in that day, if you were broken, you were useless. There was, there was no way you were ever going to be, forget king, you couldn't even serve in the king's house. You were, you were useless. So they so took him as far away as you could possibly take him to a place called Lodabar, which is a place of total isolation in a desert. And he lived there, and he grew up as a man living with another family who was assigned to protect him, bathe him, feed him. But he lived in the most horrible conditions that you can live in. So here's the reality. The next thing on your notes is this. Everybody has been dropped by somebody in their life. See, it's one thing for you to trip yourself. Most of the time, if you trip yourself, you find a way to get up and dust off. Even if anything is for embarrassment, you just, you just I'm, I'm good. It's all good. I'm good. But when somebody breaks you, when somebody drops you, it's hard to get up from that because you're filled with questions. Why would they do this? There's been people who have been crippled from physical abuse, sexual abuse, 
emotional abuse, abandonment, sickness, took us down roads, decisions that were made, and you feel useless. Some of y'all, if the truth be known, you've been living in a loader bar for a long time. And see, you don't have to look defeated to be living in Lodabar. See, Asperger, that's a perfect example. That's why I loved it when they designed that and sent it to me. I thought that's perfect because if you see the top on that surface and you see that iceberg, you don't think about nothing that's under the, under the, under the surface. All you think about is that. So you, it looks pretty. It's a beautiful, picturesque picture that people on a cruise ship would take a picture of. So beautiful. But there's so much more underneath that you can't see that a picture would never tell you. See, nowadays we live in a world where it's so easy to hide. We can be in the, the most low to bar situation in the world, and we will we'll sit, we'll, we'll find the light that hits us just right. For some reason, we think the whole world wants us to do this. <laughs> Duck face. One day, <laughs> we're going to look back on our, on our childhood, our teenage years, our adult life, and we're going to say, why in the world is every single picture I have of myself, I'm a duck? <laughs> Here's what we do. We, we'll take it, then we'll look at it, we'll zoom it in. Am I telling the truth? I'm, I can tell I'm meddling right now. We zoom it in. We'll zoom all the way in. Make sure we don't see that imperfection, that, that pimple that we got. Huh? No, no, okay, okay. I need to turn my head just a little bit so they don't see that pimple. And then we'll, we'll, we'll do it again. And then after about 20 times, am I preaching right? We'll look at it. We'll put some filters on it. We'll, for some reason, make ourselves look like a rabbit. I don't understand that. After we finally get it right. We'll put some kind of weird thing on our nose and make ourselves look like a cat. And, and we'll say, oh my goodness, that's it. And we'll post it. Now what, what you don't realize, what you don't realize is this. You're becoming a part of the problem. Because on the other side of that picture are people who are in Lodabar, who are broken, who think that they're ugly think that they are unqualified and they spend their whole day scrolling through what looks like perfect lives and they look at you and they say things like if i could only have a life like that and you're becoming a part of the problem because you're pushing them further down in Lodabar. Because maybe they don't have the talent that you have. Maybe they don't have the ability to make their life look that good. But even forget that. How many of us, we've been doing this long before the internet. It's what we do. We fake it till we make it. We act like we got it together. But we're in Lodabar. We're broken. When I was in high school, you'd never know the real me. Every room I went in, I made everybody laugh. I pushed my way all the way to the top of the football team. I was captain of the football team. First team all state, first team all county. College opportunities to play football. 
I don't mean this to brag. I'm not saying I was the man. But, you know, dated the prettiest girls in school. Ended up marrying the, the finest one that ever walked the halls of Warrior High School. No offense to anybody that went to Warrior. Do you know how I, you know how I pulled it off? I learned how to fake it. I learned how to make people think that I was okay. And I so overcompensated for what was beneath I convinced myself. How many of you'll tell a lie so many times you'll eventually believe the lie? I eventually believed I can be somebody like this and nobody will ever find out the truth. Until the day of reckoning when the only person I cared about in my life at that time was a 19-year-old girl who had just graduated high school and agreed to be my wife. She's engaged to me. And everything that I had even pretended with her, not in, I, I was not trying to intentionally live a life of deceit. It was all I knew. I'd lived in Lodabar and been broken for so long. That's the only way I knew to live. Because I never had a father to affirm me. I never had that in my life, so I affirmed myself in the wrong way. I was arrested for something stupid and silly. But it caused the veil to be pulled back and a flood came out and this little 19 year old girl found out that the guy she had said i'm gonna spend the rest of my life with who her mother and father had prepared her for her whole life you wait for somebody god's got you a man of god god's got a man that's gonna take care of you everything that they had told her that she deserved i was the opposite and i knew it i didn't have to have anybody tell me that i knew it and that's the reason for this book. I stood there, and she found out all that, and I begged her to walk away. And I'm so thankful that God puts people in our lives if we'll allow Him to see things in us that we would never see in ourselves. I tried, I worked for two days on a title of this book. If y'all heard some of the titles that I come up with, you'd laugh. Because I thought, no one's going to get this. No one's going to understand. I know what this means. My church has heard me tell this story. They're going to get it, but God, I believe you want to touch the nation, maybe the world with this. They're not going to look at that and get that. What does that mean? I see greatness in you. So I tried my best to title this book something else. Because you know, if you don't know, these five words are the five words that changed my life because when I begged my wife to leave, begged her, I said, take the ring, walk away. I'll never, ever, ever speak ill of you. I'll never say that you left me. I'm asking you, please leave me. She said, I'm not leaving. Standing right outside of the courthouse where she had just heard the judge scold me for the stupid act. I said, why would you not go? Please go. She said, when I look at you, and I don't want a clap line here. This is not what I'm trying to do, so don't clap. When I look at you, I see greatness in you. I remember just freezing. I was 21. I was barely 21 myself, but I was still a kid in my, in my mind. I was just like, I cowered a little bit, and I just backed up, and I said, what? She said, 
these words, when I look into your eyes, I see greatness in you. So we've been married for 24, I mean, not 24, 29 years. 29 years. We've been a pastor in this church for 24. That's what I was thinking about. I've asked her over those years, what made you say that? What would cause a kid, this is all you were, to say something profound to me? She said, I can't explain it. She said, I didn't think about it. I was not prepared for that moment. Larry, it had to be God. She said, I just knew this one thing. At that moment, this is what she's told me over and over again. I don't know when it's going to be. I don't know how it's going to be. But this man's going to do something for God. And I need to be there for it when it happens. I need to be there. That's what she said to me later on in life. I just knew I was supposed to be there when I saw it happen. How is it that all these years later, this still does it to me? When I go on the radio shows, the TV podcast, I can't tell it without this happening. Do you understand that this is not me trying to work you up? This is how profound it was to me in my life. So when I finally begin to see that, it set me on a journey. And I said, God, whatever you do in my life, I'm going to spend the rest of my life trying to be Sandy to other people. I'm going to try to pull it out of them the way God, you used her to pull it out of me. I had no idea that that was going to mean that God was going to tell me to pastor a church. I would have probably never said that if I if I knew that was where he was taking me. The truth is, I was a shepherd. I had caught a glimpse of the heart of God. And that was to spend time with sheep and to pull greatness out of them. Listen, if your pastor doesn't smell like sheep, you need another pastor. If he's so elite that he's ushered in with an entourage and he's ushered out with an entourage and nobody can touch him without written approval of the secretary, you need another pastor. Because if he ever gets so big that he can't spend time with the sheep, he's no longer a shepherd. He's become a Saul. So forget the rest of your notes. Mephibosheth. David was sitting down on the throne. And I'll finish with this. He said he had consolidated the 12 tribes. He was about to become the king of a consolidated Israel. The Ark of the Covenant was back. It looked like everything was in place. David was about to sit down on the throne, the scepter and the crown. He said, wait a minute. God reminded him. One of the greatest characters of greatness is honor. David was a man of honor. He wouldn't even kill Saul because he still honored him. He said, I'll not be known as one that touches God's anointing. He went on to say, who am I to say that he will not get his life right later? 
So I'm not going to take him out now. I'm respecting his offer. So he, he, looked at, he looked at his people and said, does, does anybody know if there's anybody left of the house of Saul and his son Jonathan that I could be good to and show grace? Anybody? Because I can't take this throne without honoring my covenant to Jonathan. And they said, well, Jonathan's son, Mephibosheth, is still alive, but you don't want him. He's broken. He can't even feed himself. He's in the, he's in the place where people go that are useless. He's in a place called Lodabar. But since you ask, I'm just telling you, but surely you don't want him. David said, stop everything. Stop the ceremony. Everybody just go home. Nothing more is going to happen today until you bring that man named Mephibosheth to me. They carried him in. Took a couple of days to get him there. David's standing before his throne again. They brought up, because you have to go up to the throne, so there would have been steps there. They put him at the steps. He buried his head into the steps. The Bible said he wouldn't even look up he was so defeated he said are you Mephibosheth he said I am he said look at me Mephibosheth said why would you ask a dead dog that's what he called himself a dead dog is myself to look upon the king I'm not worthy he said you're Jonathan's son stand him up he stood him up he said Mephibosheth I know what you think about yourself I know what people have told you. All your life that you have been told is your destiny. I've brought you here to tell you that just because you're broken in body doesn't change the DNA that's within you. You are a child of a king. Looked at Zeba, his right-hand man that served Saul, now served him and said, Zeba, I know I just gave you a bunch of land. Sorry, I'm taking it back because I didn't know about him. All of your land now belongs to him. And now you and all your sons and all your servants will serve him. And from this day forward, Mephibosheth, look at me, son. From this day forward, you'll not be living in Lodabar another day. I see greatness in you. Every day that I sit down to eat a meal at my table, you will not just, go back and read it. It's what he said. You will not just sit at the king's table. You will sit at my right hand as a, one of my own sons. For I am the king, and you, Mephibosheth, are a son of a king. You are royalty. Your daddy and your granddaddy may be gone, but your DNA, their DNA is still in you. So for the rest of his life, he lived the life that he was destined to live. But it took a man making a decision to call that greatness out of him. To go get him and pull him out. Let me tell you something. You might not be able to pull yourself out of the mess that you're in. That's why you need that person sitting next to you, in front of you, and behind you. You so big and bad think you got this, you don't have this. Reach over and grab somebody right now. Even if you've got to move out of your seat, if you're sitting by yourself, it's time for you to quit sitting by yourself. Go get somebody and sit by them. Go, go grab somebody. Grab somebody right now. Look at them and say, I got you. Tell somebody else, I got you. Tell somebody, you are not alone. There is greatness in you.